Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. Cultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as documentary filmmaker Joey Figueroa joins us to celebrate his fantastic new film, Milius, the story of legendary filmmaker John Milius. Joey will share tales of the pressures of interviewing icons, lunch on the Warner lot with the entire Ventura chapter of the Hells Angels, Dan Carlin Love Fest number four, and learning that though you may piss folks off, they are going to tell the story forever. And now, asking you all to spread the word that corporations are not people, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, Daniele Bulali, the savage philosopher, the middle finger of the gods. Bury your treasure, put your kids to bed, and most importantly, hide your women. The Drunken Taoist Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 41 of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Another awesome interview this week. So without further ado, let me get to my partner in crime, Mr. Daniele Bulali. Yes, yes, yes. Today we have Joey Figueroa coming with us to talk about the career of the epic John Milius, one of the greatest directors, writers, just Hollywood. Uh, uh, the word maverick can never be used again after Sarah Palin used it so many times in such an awful fashion. But, you know, it's like somebody who really pushed the envelope in every which way, unorthodox in every which way, brilliant, controversial, We'll talk about his life and career the whole time since Joey helped um, produce and create a documentary about the life of John Milius. Yeah, and tons of awesome surprises. Like He he pops up as incredible elements of films you know and love yeah. all the way back into the 70s. He's like, he did what? You know, yeah. just these tiny little, well, have this and have that. I won't give any of them away because they're awesome, but really fascinating guy. And, you know, by being a bit nutty and controversial, probably affected his own career a little bit. Mm, you can definitely say that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> But yeah, this is a hero story. So today is, uh, I love this episode. This was a great conversation. I had a really good time. Um, so this should be fun. So let's get the ball rolling. Real quick thank you to our sponsor, Datsusara, for the most awesome hemp gear on the planet. You guys know the drill. Computer bags, backpacks, gear, Man purses. T-shirt. <laughs> yes, uh, fanny pack, which only real men got to wear because... <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> anybody who has less than stellar self-esteem cannot pull it off. Um, Onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com. The trifecta of uh, sport gear, all sorts of sport gear, uh, some really good foods and supplements. There's a whole catalog of things that are really cool out there. As I mentioned before, I'm still on my hemp protein kick that I love very, very much. But they have a bunch of cool stuff, so check them out. And Shore Design t-shirts. Um, we Our own t-shirts from Shore Design are in. We're going to discuss it. Well, I'll just mention it right now. Those of you guys who uh, order them should have them. We'll discuss it more on our own episode the next time. But just to mention. And also Bennett from Shore Design. He has a whole new website. Has put out a lot of new shirts out there. 
women dresses, the whole thing. They are beautiful. Check them out. All of this stuff is in the episode notes. You can see the links with discounts for going through us. And of course, last but not least, please make sure if you do shopping on Amazon to use our Amazon link. It's a very, very sweet thing you do. Less money to corporations, more to us. We love you for that. Now, without further ado, let's get the ball rolling on this Milius episode. How long have you been out here? Did you come out here chasing movies or? Yeah, in, in kind of. I came late though, to be honest with you. I, uh, my, my, my idea was when I was younger, I'd come out here, wanted to be an actor. And then, um, you know, life chooses other journeys for you. I had a child when I was young and so I, I was still <laughs> supporting him. And then, you know, I got into, uh, I got into, I did a few things actually, <laughs> but then I, I spent ten years of my li- I, I call it wasted ten years of my life uh, working in working in the bar business, strip club business. You know, I ran like three strip clubs. But the positive thing that came out of that is that's where I met my directing partner Zach. He was a bouncer there. Wow! And we talk about movies all day long. That's awesome. And then he was kind of like an actor too. He did some stuff, and he was a lot younger than me. Um, he's probably like ten years younger than me. Oh, no, 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 10 years, I'm sorry, like uh, three years younger than me. So at that time, you know, he had he was just like 21. I was like 24, 25 at the time. An old man at that point. Yeah. In the in that bar, in that kind of business, yeah. So we talk about movies because his poster is right next to the DJ booth. And I, always used, I also was that DJ in the in the strip club. Like, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you know, that guy. So you've never heard Cherry Pie before in your life? Uh, no, never. <laughs> never. Never. If I hear it now, I, I, I literally want to strangle anyone with a with a G string. <laughs> but you know, when you end up having to take care of a kid, I mean, that takes precedent. What else are you sure, going to do? Sure, sure. So, so I didn't move out to LA, really make that commitment until um, let's see, early two thousand, like two thousand two. You know, and um, at that point, I was just I was doing some extra work, and and then Zach was working with Kevin Smith right. on, on some project. And their next movie was Jersey Girl, and I got a job. I got a job uh, as a as a office PA. And then when that job was over, there was this opportunity to work on this documentary, The Clerks, ten uh, DVD edition. Oh, ten Clerks years already. Edition. Yeah, at that time. It's twenty and, now, isn't it? Yeah. Fuck man, where's the time? Go? Yeah, so it was pretty cool because that that kind of was like my film school. And, and Zach's film school at the same time too because we, we hadn't really done anything as far as filming anything any kind of documentary and you know what we should bring this is a cool story we oh yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, but please introduce uh, hey everybody welcome back uh, episode something or another and we are talking with Daniele Bolelli who's brought somebody very special with us today and it is today Joy Figueroa here with us to chat about one of my all time idols director writer John Milius Joy has done an amazing documentary. I just watched it a week ago or so. An incredible documentary about the life and career of John Milius. I we're gonna be chatting about it for a hell of a long time, and uh, I hope that by the end of it, you guys are gonna check it out because it's just marvelous. Joy, 
Welcome here. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. You should be my agent. All those compliments. Jeez. <laughs> I'd, get, I'm, I'd get more work in this town. I have no problems with superlatives because <laughs> I, that's kind of how I feel life. You know, I either you suck in the worst horrible way or awesome. There's not much in between. I'm like, I, I don't care for in between. I it's, appreciate it. Though. it I definitely appreciate it. And thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. So let's go play. Now, Milius <clears throat> is funny because for me, I growing up in Italy, I remember as a kid uh, having access to movies. The you know, it's not like today where you can just catch anything on Netflix. On you go on the web. You so the first time that I got my hands on certain VHS copies of Milius movies, I literally was like my church. I would watch uh, Conan, of course. Conan, nineteen eighty two version of Conan the Barbarian was like. I sit down to worship on a daily basis. <laughs> but even some of other Milius movies like Big Wednesday. Big Wednesday is like an epic underrated movie. It's uh, in some ways about surfing, but it's so much more than about surfing. It's about friendship, it's about passion, it's about intensity. And it's one of the scenes that literally I think I spent, I would spend months where every single day I would watch a Milius movie. I would either watch Big Wednesday or Conan or one of those and I would just be day in and day out to the point where I know every single line and so yes, I'm I feel I feel like you should have been the one that did this documentary at this point. Well, what was your first exposure? Probably not knowing it because I'm sure probably for me it was Jaws, the lines and, and then You know, I I heard that story late, but I when I watched Jaws many many years ago, I didn't put that together at all that, that, no. that who wrote this dialogue for this particular scene i would have never guessed that but it, it probably left an impression though right that oh scene absolutely is, absolutely the it, whole movie it's iconic absolutely but you know come to find out years later and and then to find out that it was uncredited you know it's kind of like, like it, it kind of it kind of is a testament to john milius's uh character where he would literally do things for his friends just because on a handshake hey you know, you need a little help, I'll do it. I'm not expecting a paycheck. You know, he's just one of those guys, the old school way, call up one of your buddies, hey, can you help me out with the line? Sure. John Milius wrote that speech over the phone. <laughs> wow. It's insane. Over the phone. <laughs> Ten pages long, you know, and it's 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 crazy. But that's just the kind of dude he was. What we're referring to, which is something that Joy brings up in the documentary, there's this part of uh, Joe's where uh, there's this one monologue talking about what happens to the guys who had been... Uh, uh, helping with the whole process of the atomic bomb and then making the way back and this whole story about sharks world war ii uh, that is probably the best you know the best lines out of joe's by far that as you said just milius just got on the phone and was like okay sure i'll help you with that and he's not even he's not even credited as the screenwriter or anything well and, well uh, literally uh steven spielberg called him up and says john i need i need something here and uh john said okay and they talked about it like he said, he wrote it over the phone, but he ended up in typical John Milius fashion. You ask him for, you know, a minute of dialogue or maybe a few lines. He gives you 10 pages. Right. There's nothing short with John Milius. <laughs> we know that, you know, you have a conversation <laughs> with a guy and it's literally a six hour conversation, three hour conversation. Like when we first met him, that meeting turned out to be six hours. We'll wow. get into that a little later if you want. But sure. definitely it's like Steven Spielberg literally calls him up. John writes this 10-page monologue, and, you know, Robert Shaw's got to edit it down, as, as, as we explain in the film, or as Spielberg explains in the film. You know, he edited it down. There was so much, but it's actually Robert Shaw who edited um, Spielberg's dialogue. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, wow. uh, Milius's dialogue. Milius's dialogue, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just going back, 
on the island of Tinian, the lady just delivered the bum, the Hiroshima bum. Eleven hundred men went into the water. The vessel went down in twelve minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, thirteen-footer. You know, you know that when you're in the water, chief. You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. They didn't even list us overdue for a week. When you said France would call him up, the kind of circle that Milius moved in at the <clears throat> time is a rather interesting one, right? The whole U- USC crowd. Sure, that... absolutely. I mean, John came at a time where I think film was was kind of like lingering in like nowhere land. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was limboed out for yeah. sure. Yeah, and, and people like uh, Coppola was very successful at that time. Coppola was like the, the, the big, big brother. Mm-hmm. John was the other big brother, like the middle brother. Right. And then you had Lucas and Spielberg over at, US, uh, at UCLA and the other guys at USC, which USC was literally what they called uh, the, the the shack in the, in, in, in the, it's not what it is today. <laughs> right. You know? And uh, they pretty much, I feel, built that program yep. Yep. from their works. Yeah. And the really cool thing about that is they got to do an experiment as they please. Nobody thought they were going to break into Hollywood. Nobody expected them to do anything other than just kind of try to get an easy grade. But for them, they really took advantage of that. <laughs> and then you get Coppola, Spielberg, <laughs> Lucas, and Milius. Yeah. It's nuts. And there's a It's... few others like Randall Kleiser, you know, right. uh, Basil Paladoris, and... Um, God, who else was over there? Uh, Don Glute was was a was a filmmaker who was way ahead of his time, mm-hmm. and he actually got kicked out of USC for wanting and making superhero movies. Believe that or not, that's never going to sell. Now move along, please. <laughs> he did one of his one of his student features was like this Spider Man esque kind of uh, you know superheroish type movie, and he 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 was not it was not well received by by the. By the class that goes back to the theme that we brought up a few times a good Taoist team that timing is everything man Absolutely. it's like <laughs> content yeah it's nice but it's dramatically secondary to your timing but yeah. it was a great time for 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 uh, cinema I think you had Scorsese on the East Coast yep. but they all kind of still uh, knew each other spoke with each other they would collaborate mm-hmm. you know at parties they would talk and just kind of hang out some of these are some of the stories that, that we're finding out that it's really amazing to think that all these the, the these iconic filmmakers at one point were just hanging out yep and just bullshitting yeah and can I say bullshit oh of yeah of course bullshitting uh, just hanging out and, yep. and, and talking movies instead of trying to get you know some some pussy at the party right. <laughs> these guys are literally in the corner <laughs> talking movies and this is a story that margot kidder would tell us they would have right. these parties over here in santa monica or malibu i'm sorry some apartment in malibu and people would like milius would be there scorsese would be there you know de palma would be there and uh they would literally just sit in some corner talking about movies or whatever project <laughs> they want to do and over here there's all these drunk girls doing right. all this stuff so just to give you an idea of like where their focus was at yeah you got to appreciate that man you really did <laughs> no, totally. and i love this tribal aspect of the whole thing of these guys who really just is not purely businesses they hang out with each other and that's how some of the big masterpieces of the era are built at a party with somebody pulling out a napkin mm. and going that's a cool idea let me write that down but, but it's really funny that you know Um, these guys, people like Lucas and Spielberg, even Coppola, they always looked at John like 
he is going to be the big success. Mm -hmm. This guy's so talented. He's going to be amazing filmmaker, an amazing writer, which he is. Yeah. But for some reason, and this goes back to kind of like why we, one of the reasons why we wanted to tell this story of John mm -hmm. Millis is because you look at Millis and you don't really see him as a household name. Right. Sure. You know, you see, you see anybody can see Lucas. Yeah. Everybody knows Lucas. Even if you're not a film sure. fan. Star Wars. Spielberg. Land. Right. You know, Coppola. It just yeah. sounds like somebody you should know. Then you say John Millis, like, hmm, let me think about that right. for a second. Of course. So that's really one of the reasons why, why this project one of the reasons, many reasons why this project was was conceived, is to bring John Millis back to the to the limelight, you know, where where he deserves to be. I bet because I mean you're right. It's there's this theme that um, you know the fame, the fortune of these four guys. You know, three of them are really the top guys that you ever hear in movie making for decades. And Milius is somewhat this underrated guy that most people don't know much about. There's this cult, you know, people people who like him, they don't just like him. They they get my reaction, you know, where you just worship the guy and everything he touched, but he's not as mainstream. And as we're going to get into, there are probably good reasons why. Not good reasons as in they are legitimate, but there's a logic for why that is. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, and that's the... But back to what you were hinting at earlier as far as uh, how you guys conceive of the project, how it started, mm -hmm. uh, the first contacts with mm -hmm. John and all of that. How did the whole idea of doing a documentary about John come up? Well, you know, uh, my directing partner Zach Knutson and I, you know, we were we we would we worked with Kevin Smith for a lot of years, doing mm -hmm. a lot of behind the scene documentaries, and you know, for a while there, we were like, let's do feature length be behind the scene documentaries. Yep. It's usually like a featurette, fifteen minute featurette, on these DVDs, and you know, we we're a little overzealous and like we can follow the the filmmaker from conception to like you know the premiere of the movie and really show you what it is to yep. to, to make a movie all the way through. So when we did that. Um, for a little while, we decided we kind of want to take on our own independent project. Mm -hmm. And we are looking for a story. We hadn't really, you know, seriously thought of anything yet. And a friend of ours, Ken Plume, who's one of our producers on the movie, uh, used to write for IGN. And he did this extensive interview with uh, John that was like this 30-page interview or something like that. And, and we were having a conversation. He said, uh, you guys want to read the transcripts of this this interview with right. John? And we knew who John Milius was to be... But to be 100% honest with you, at least for me, I didn't know a lot of this stuff that he mm -hmm. had done. Right. And like some of his, his characteristics more so that that's what really drew me to the project. Really interesting to me is like you love his work, but man, he's a character and, and, he, and he's a personality that's yeah. like larger than life. And that's what I was drawn to. And some of the stuff in these in these interviews were like, wow, that would be pretty cool if we can do this now. Can we get him on board? Because it would be even better to do like an authorized with him involved. Yeah, of know? course. And he goes, I and he goes, yeah, I've become friends with with him over the years. We kept in touch, and uh, I know his assistant. And let me see if I can hook you guys up with the meeting. And he actually came to see us. And me and Zach were kind of like rehearsing our little pitch, and you know how we do. <laughs> we were a little nervous, yeah. and what's, what's he gonna say? And <laughs> will he be armed? Yeah, he's like John Mills is gonna be sitting in front of us. We're kind of stoked. And uh, sure enough, John shows up within the first few minutes. We're totally relaxed. We really didn't even have to pitch him the idea like that. And uh, what, what turned out to be a 30-minute meet-and-greet pitch meeting that we thought we were going to have turned out to be like a six-hour conversation, <laughs> hanging out right. with John. Yeah. Always a good sign. And, and we kept looking at each other like, 
wow, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. This guy loves to talk, and he's very candid and open and just keeps talking and talking and story after story. And, we're, and our, our, our wheels are spinning, and like, God, I want to grab a camera right now. Yeah. But you just, let's, let's relax. <laughs> and he goes, and towards the end of, like, I don't know, the conversation, he says, uh, but I do have two um, conditions, mm-hmm. you know. And then it gets, like, a little serious. We're like, oh, shit, okay. He goes, one, you have to tell the truth. We're like, awesome. Yep. That's that's great. Thank you for trusting us in that. Mm-hmm. You know, we just met and we just had this really great six hour talk. And he goes, two, he goes, You can't show me with any guns. And at that moment, we're like, Great. That's awesome. Fast forward when we're when we really dig into this project and we're scanning and finding all these photos and literally nine out of ten photos is John's holding some kind of firearm. Yeah, of course. I looked at Zach and I said, Zach, this is impossible, dude. Right. You know, and then we kind of took a pause for a second and we just go, fucking Milius is in his house right now laughing at these two <laughs> filmmakers, young guys going, <laughs> going, you know. So was that a joke for him? I think that was a joke. We right. took it that way because literally we go like, not only is he one of the greatest storytellers of his generation, but he's probably one of the, one of the uh, greatest uh, jokesters also. Right. Practical joker. <laughs> we took it at that. We didn't even, we didn't even tell him. We're like, he has to be joking because yeah. later, later, way, way later when we showed him the cut, you know, he never once mentioned anything. Of course, of course. Like, it was just messing with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because like, this is no, there's no way. Yeah. He's in the backyard. He's hanging out with his son. He's got a gun. He's hanging out with his wife and some motorcycle. He's got a gun. Yeah. I'm like, Okay. We yeah, get he it. he definitely likes his guns. There yeah. are, there's no argument there. It's but. funny we ran into the same craziness with Walt Disney not having a cigarette in his hand. Are oh you, yeah. Are you kidding me? That he was on the TV with a cigarette in of his course. hand. You know? I, is this true? But I heard that they were digitally removing like the cigarettes from photos just to rebrand that whole I, idea. I had the incredible um, three days inside the photo archive, and like every movie they made would have books, like four or five, and like, you say, oh, books of photos. And then you pull it out, it's books of contact sheets of photos. Wow. And wow. you would just go through them, and every single one, kill, 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 yep. in red, uh, uh, you know, China oh, marker. Because he either had a scotch mist or a cigarette in his hand. You well, gotta love that, I'm though, sure man. they're fixed. But I don't think you should be allowed to remove that, no. either. I mean, no five-year-old is gonna go light up a cigarette because Walt Disney was smoking one in 1963. I saw... Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. But, but, but to me, that's like... It, it's... Uh, it's part of his history. Yes. It's, he it's, wouldn't change it. He didn't change it enough to save his own life. That's right. And that's precisely what, in fact, when talking about Milius, like what you're saying about Disney, that's that culture, the yes. one that would remove the cigarette from the picture of Disney, is precisely why Milius is not a household name as a couple and Spielberg and Lucas. That's right. It is funny, though. You know, it seems in every amazing group, I mean, when you talk about Coppola, Spielberg, you know, and Lucas, that's the Beatles, you know, yeah. and every Beatles has their Brian Epstein that's right there with them every step of the way stirring the pot or dropping the great lines or helping Mm -hmm. because i think when you think of john i mean the casual movie fan is definitely going to go conan red dawn because that was like kind of when he was peeking out and to not to know the rest of it yeah i'm glad you guys made the movie that's really just the tip of the iceberg totally when you look at his career again not only the movies he directed because there's some amazing stuff but beside that just hanging out on the side the that the the amount of stuff before even he was a director, he was one of the best screenwriters around, and that's Absolutely. what he's famous for. I mean, like he'll always be remembered for his writing more than more so than his directing. I, and I feel like in the movie, in the in the documentary, he does say, you know, he started directing strictly out of self defense yeah. because he felt like he, people were going to just butcher his writing. 
Um, but he'll definitely go down. His legacy is through his writing. But he is an excellent director, in my opinion, also. Yep. Absolutely. Um, but but definitely as a writer, it's it's undeniable, man. The guy is amazing. You know, you read one of his scripts and it doesn't read like a traditional script. It reads like a book. You know, he's very descriptive with, with, with everything and, and, and reads like a novel in a sense, more so like a traditional script. And that's how he's always written. Do you think that's because what you said earlier, he wrote everything with a pencil and just sort of gave him that extra moment to kind of bathe in the words? Or? You know, it's very possible. It's very possible, but... Uh, John Millis, part of his character is 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 that throwback character that um, that uh, I'll just write it because that's the way it should be done. You know, that's the way writers do things; they write things, and and or maybe that's just some that's just something that he really enjoyed doing. Yeah. Maybe he was just didn't like typing. Who knows? Right. But everything he did, um, I think, was because he was influenced by someone else that did it that way. You know, you know, people that he admired. Right. No, and I mean, that's the, in a way, almost makes you hope that Milius had written books as well. Besides, I mean, I would give my right, well, not my right arm, but I would definitely give somebody's right arm for having Milius' book, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that, because he's such an amazing storyteller. I mean, for people who don't know, some of the screenplays that he had his hands in Apocalypse Now. I mean, talk about something iconic and amazing. Apocalypse Now was Milius, you know, all those lines. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Charlie don't serve. Charlie, Charlie don't, don't serve. serve. All right. of that, you know, that's Milius right there. The um, the Dirty Harry movies, mm-hmm. you know, the, which basically built Clint Eastwood. You know, that's what a huge element of Clint Eastwood's career. All those lines. All, all, every time you hear a line that's like way over the edge and something that most people would think twice about going, uh, maybe that's too much, that's Milius. Yeah. W- whatever you would think, maybe that's too much, those are the lines that people would remember forever. And it's that become Milius, pop culture uh, for yeah, sure, absolutely. Of course. But you guys mentioned in the films what people were desperate for at that point, right? Because the 60s had floundered out, the musicals were dead, mm-hmm. nobody wanted to watch another Western. They'd all seen it before Vietnam, had everybody just as angry and and pent up and along comes people talking like they fucking talk like in the real life <laughs> Scorsese was doing it mm-hmm. John obviously did it as well right. and people just flocked to it yep. and boom that those guys in that right place at that right moment boom stratospheric and the thing about John I feel like he does speak like 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 a normal person would speak through his scripts but it's still a little a little it's got that little edge of, of, yeah. uh, of uh, a very poetic edge mm-hmm. you know as opposed to Scorsese who's just like F U F U right. F U. Yeah. You know, Milius would would say F U in a very poetic way. Both <laughs> both both are just equally awesome. Both are equally awesome. They're just in two different ways. You know? But that's that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly somebody I forget who in the uh, documentary said about Milius. He's a poet from the top of his head to the bottom of his Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. which captures it perfectly. And what you were saying to a few minutes ago when he said. When you use the expression larger than life, I was looking at my notes and that those three words show up like 15 times because mm-hmm. it's the recurring theme of Milius is the guy is epic. Mm-hmm. And the epic doesn't mean that he's perfect, doesn't mean that he's always what you'd like, always what you find tasteful, always. Right. But you don't pick at epic. Epic is something that's larger than life. And you got to admire a guy who created his own path, who really just bulldozed his way, creating his own career in Hollywood had a vision, followed it, didn't give a crap what anybody else thought in that regard. In a way, 
like we did an episode at some point where we went through the life of Evan Tanner. I don't know if you're familiar with the guy, MMA fighter who died oh, yeah, uh, in the do, desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And to me, I love Milius for the same reason I love Ivan Tanner. You know, you look at Tanner's life. Is he a perfect guy? No, he's not. And he wouldn't even be interested in that. He's not the kind of guy. But there's craziness. There are defects. There's some weirdness about it. But it's all heart. Mm-hmm. It's all epic. It's all this passion. You know, all the guys who are reliable, politically correct, they toe the line. Fuck them. I mean, what are you ever going to remember that they ever did with their life? You know, the Milius Apic, good and bad, it's worth more than anything else right there. Absolutely. He's he's definitely uh, left his mark, not only for his talents, but for his... Um is his 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 personality and sometimes to me like i said earlier his personality is what really drew me to that guy he he to me is like the last of the of old hollywood yep. the last of the peck and paws where you know where the director really was the director and like the filmmaker mm-hmm. was like looked upon like you know he he gets a he gets a uh, carte blanche basically do what he wants yep. but still delivers every time yeah but at the same time just like a peck and paw would do Every once in a while, he'd like to pull out his piece and shoot, shoot, a, you know, six <laughs> rounds into the air. Like, okay, guys, let's get going. Right. You know, what I mean, just stuff like that. Nobody can do that these days. No, it's it's, it's it's not going to happen. No. And, and before I forget, uh, <laughs> you were talking about Evan Tanner in the UFC. That's one thing I never knew about right. John Milius. Yep. That I'm like, are you kidding me? Yep. He he was he was one of uh, him and Orion Gracie were were one of the uh, first that conceived that whole octagon. You know, for the UFC. Yeah. We went to go visit Orion at his studio. And he's got this little um, kind of museum in there where he has uh, different awards and different photos of the history of the UFC and stuff like that. And he has a section for John Milius where John had uh, drew uh, these uh, concepts for the cage. You know, and yep. as, as he says in the documentary, <laughs> during the credits, he goes, you know, they're trying to figure out a way to get these guys in this arena to where they can't escape you know like if someone's really gonna try to escape then you know they're not gonna be allowed to you know right. but in his mind no place to hide yeah in his mind he's like well how about some alligators with a moat <laughs> <laughs> or uh, an electric fence or something you know and i'm sure yeah. at, i'm sure somewhere in his crazy head he thought we can do that yeah we can do that how awesome would that be if they'll sign a release we can do anything that just goes to show you like where where his where his head's at. Yeah. You know, his head's at is, is, is he's just a wild guy. But you know, he like I said, we, 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 we nicknamed him Zach and I nicknamed nicknamed him for a little while the Forrest Gump of Hollywood because he literally has his hand in everything. In yep. everything. It's amazing. I mean the UFC thing is nuts when you think about it, because when you look at his whole career and there are so many other things. If he had done nothing else in his life, he had only done that, he would be memorable, right? Because he's one of the Three guys, you know, Arthur David, mm-hmm. Gracie, and Milius were sitting there conceiving what today is one of the biggest sports in the world. You know, yeah, anybody. But, you, but when you think about it, how many people in that arena know who John no, Milius is? No, of course. <laughs> That's I was part. I was having a chat with um, Joe Rogan, you know, on his podcast, and Joe knows everything about everything, right? I mean, he's incredibly smart, and he's incredibly when it comes to MMA. I mean, his knowledge is encyclopedic. And when I brought up about, you know, yeah, Milius, because we were talking about Conan with Joe, and then I brought up Milius, and, you know, yeah, he's the creative director. Joe didn't know it, and he was like, really? He was? And, I mean, if Joe doesn't know it, it means 99.99% of other people in the world have no idea that that's the case. Yeah, and that all started because John would, uh, Orion would actually train John. Yep. 
And they trained out of Orion's garage. Yep. And that's when they had these conversations. And John would do stuff like this because he's just literally like one of those manly man guys. Yep. He does everything that's like manly. So, hey, it's like, what is this, you know, martial art, this jujitsu? I'm going to try it out. Of course. Which, which actually got his son, Ethan, involved in it. Yeah. And Ethan's an excellent martial artist. Yep. Excellent martial artist. It's amazing. I remember back then I had met Art Davy at the time when they were doing like UFC 5 or 6 when they were phasing out and I think they had sold the company right around the time they were selling. And Art Davy was telling me about, yeah, Emilio's son is this great jiu-jitsu guy and he just popped his knee though in training a little bit ago. So it was this all, that's funny, man. But It's crazy, man. The guy's everywhere. He's he's pretty impressive when, when you just, re- even when you just remove, you know, his Hollywood yeah, moments. Exactly. I mean, just UFC alone. Think about how huge that is today. The sport of MMA. How it's and Milius had a crucial role early on in creating the drama, the spectacle, everything surrounding. Kind of, kind of makes you wonder what would what would what would the alternate uh, idea be if that if they didn't go with the cage. You know? Absolutely. Which in some way goes hand in hand. Shot with... collars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean the the gladiator scene in Conan they are the precursor to them where the guy's mind is when he's gonna come up with ufc ideas 10 years later or something you know and this and speaking of the strats then is the same thing that you brought it up earlier he was one of the creative minds at the start of the rome tv series the yep. hbo rome yep. tv series yes. which again one of the best tv series ever made you know amazing amazing he i don't know i don't know the the ins and outs of why it didn't continue too much, too expensive. I, we always heard yeah. too expensive. I, yeah. That's what I heard. The ratings too. weren't bad, but they couldn't. No, support. ratings are good, but they figure really we can expensive. make stuff. You know, the Sopranos that cost one tenth from the point of view of yeah. production, and uh, you can get shame. more ratings. Right, right. Why would you do something? And also, they were planning to do Game of Thrones, uh, and so we're like, if we're gonna do a humongous epic that cost a ton of money, we can't have two. You know, Rome is great, but we're done, and uh, which is too bad. Opened a lot of doors, though. It really yeah. it was gritty, and the, the the history was yucky and and you know funky. And yeah, my brother, my brother, as it was a huge, huge fan of that show, and he was so bummed out and disappointed yeah. that it wasn't coming back. He's like, "Why?" I'm like, "You're asking me, dude. I don't know, but I'll try to find out. I'll call yeah. some people." Yeah, he's all, "But why would they do that?" I'm like, "I don't know." I was hoping that there was discussion for a long time of they were gonna make a feature, a movie. As uh, you know, they were not going to pick up the series anymore, but they were doing a movie. And Bruno Heller, the guy who had been playing with a lot of the scripts, was saying he had panned the movie, it's already there. Can't believe they don't do it. You know, it had a big audience for TV, there's a screenplay already there. Do it, you know. It's well, Mr. History, what is the what is the moment in history that would turn the movie? I mean, it would, you'd have to hook it to something, you would think. Yeah, and again, depending on where they go, because uh, you know, clearly the actors now are twelve years later. Yeah, yeah. How old can you make them look? You know, there are million things in that regard, but still. But yeah, man, and the fact that Milius was the creative mind behind Rome, right there. Again, there's his name pop up in all these different things. I was bummed out that they didn't let him direct, I guess. You that know, would have been great. That would have been awesome. He actually had another series that he wanted to get on called Pharaohs, and, and it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. He had that a few work. things, actually. Yeah. Or the, there was the Genghis Khan project. Well, the Genghis Khan is still actively in, in, still in, in development good. phase. You know, they really want to, at some point, see that come to light. I would love to see that come to light. You yeah. Know? That's his. That's his. Uh, that's his epic. His his huge, huge epic that he really wants to be seen. And obviously, you know, for for reasons that the documentary explains, um, he's unable to. 
proceed as a director. Right. But he's on as a producer, you know, and he had written the script prior to his uh, having Perfect. a stroke. And uh, even afterwards, during his rehab, he somehow managed with his assistant to edit like 40 pages out of the out of the script wow. because he had such a good relationship and communication wise with his assistant for that he had for 30 plus years. They were, they were able to edit. Right. You know. Because they had a, they had a language yeah. they can speak with each other. Of course, it's pretty impressive. You know, no, that's awesome. If, I wonder. I wonder if you've heard any of the Dan Carlin Genghis Khan. I was about to bring that hours? up. Yeah, I was about to bring. If that he has up. it, this guy nails down just yeah. the most epic telling of the tale from oh, the wow. piling of the bodies in China, you know, to rolling up to a million dead that Genghis Khan had left behind. Just wow, epic, epic awesomeness that he probably, you know, this guy read thirty yeah. books to prepare. This, um, but yeah, Milius would dig that. He would Carlin, eat it up. Yeah, Carlin talks about history the way Milius directs and writes. You know, yeah. there's I'm, that I'm same. I'm sure uh, he would. He, I mean, he loves. So, he's a total historian. You know, yeah, so I'm sure would he be. would love something like so that. So if by any chance he hasn't listened to already, I'll send you the link if you want to pass it. Is along it an audio book? Uh, it, it's, it's, um, it's a podcast. podcast. Oh, awesome! And it's insanely good. I was just listening. It's funny. I was listening coming over here. I was listening to those episodes again, the Mongol ones. No, it's, it's, it's uh, from seeing it, it's seeing that he was doing the Genghis Khan movie that made me think of it. Yeah. Because, oh, wow. I mean, you want to talk, that movie could be so great. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. absolutely. Especially a man with no real face. Oh. Like, there's no, nobody really knows what Genghis Khan looked like. No, there's no just there's, there's, there's that image that everybody has in their head. You know, it's, it's right. It's kind of it's kind of like that that obviously that iconic image that everybody has, but who really knows? No, right. in fact, there's one of the things that Carlin brings up is that they say that he may have had reddish hair. He'd been one of these weird mixes of Asian European that nobody. But yeah, there's no clue. The, um, and I heard another thing that I heard about the project that Milius was playing with was um, Aztec. You know the Jennings movie. I mean the Jennings book he, that he wanted to bring it up as a TV series which would be, you know, epic and crazy and bloody and gory mm -hmm. as in, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I, 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 don't I don't, I didn't know about that one, but, uh, I'm sure if it's, if it's, uh, something John likes, it has to be big. Yeah. I, you can say that. Yeah. Yes. It's one but, of the, and you know what I mean when I say big, yeah. not big, like, like, you know, commercially big, right. but big as in like an epic story. Yeah. That thing, it. when I read it is, uh, I mean, I was having problem getting through the book at some point because it's just by far the bloodiest thing I've ever read. Wow. I've never read anything that comes half as close to that. Wow. So I was that just sounds like, awesome. That sounds awesome. It's, it's what happens when society is run by serial killers. Yeah. <laughs> For real. That, wow. that thing, blood, is what turns the sun and the moon. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's what the Aztecs were like. Yeah, that was, that was very John Millis that you said. <laughs> thank you. Thank, <laughs> you. thank you. That means a lot. Glad the thirst is at the moon. Nice. Just your delivery, too. It was, yeah. like, was awesome. <laughs> yeah, Aztec with John Millis behind it. Oh what would God. that be? Well, the, the Genghis Khan movie would be so awesome. I mean, this guy, you got to check it out, too, even if you have. The, I never would have thought. I stumbled into him with a, a story, the story of Magellan, which seems pretty benign. But his, like, the take from the very beginning is, first of all, Magellan never made it back. And the guy who actually circumnavigated the globe was Magellan's slave. Yeah. Oh, wow. Who started in the East Indies, made his way to Europe, and then was the first guy to make it around. And then the million stories inside that. I mean, did you have any idea that Magellan was being chased by Portuguese ships that wanted to sink him as he was leaving out on his journey? I'm ready to tune in tomorrow for that. No yeah, man, that, that's, that would, that that's would be the amazing. beginning. You know, while he's fighting, while he's fighting mutinies on his own boat, the king of Portugal is pissed that he went with the Spanish, yep. 
and wants him sunk. Now, Dan wow. Carlin is one of our idols. We had him on a show once, and he was amazing, as usual. His episodes are brilliant. The way he tells history, again, is like Milius having a historical podcast. It's like that. It's uh, how, how awesome would it be if... if, if if Millie's had his own podcast. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Can you imagine? It, it might yeah, sound a lot yeah, like this. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> no, amazing. Exactly. But it's yeah, like, I'll give you the links to this because if he hasn't listened to it already by any chance, he's going to love it like crazy. It's like episode one, seven hours. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. Episode two, seven hours. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a fact. And I mean, there's, mm. um, yeah, this stuff that as you put it, the lines that Milio could deliver, these over-the-top lines as you graciously throw out there, the, the blood that turns the sun and the moon, you know, there's that element of, uh, there's a Nietzsche quote that's perfect for Milius in the regard. It says, um, you must have chaos within you to give birth to a dancing star. You know, there's this sense that unless you are a mess, and I don't mean a mess in a bad way, not a mess like you are messed up, a mess as in you have so much emotion and passion and craziness and intensity inside of you, that's the recipe from which you can produce amazing stuff. Nice, reliable guys are good to, you know, make sure that stuff get done on time, but they are mm -hmm. not gonna produce the lines that are worth remembering, you know, that just... Well, in our society, does everything it can to just crush every bit of that, doesn't it? Yeah. From color inside the lines to, you know, do what you're told and listen. Anyway, we're not going down that well, road. No, I, I, mean, I think we are because that's kind of, in fact, one of the themes of the documentaries and why we were dancing around it earlier is why is that they, all the other guys make mm -hmm. it huge? And not that those are bad guys. They are amazing directors. They are brilliant guys. They are passionate in their own ways. Just Milius being three times over the top compared to anyone else in his personal life, in his attitude, in the way he speaks, in everything. Well, you know, Elvis Mitchell in the documentary, I think kind of addresses that exact question where, where he feels that Milius kind of will never do a film that he didn't believe in or that he wasn't necessarily... Here's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Elvis Mitchell says, do you think that... Uh, that um, Milius would ever do Goonies, and that kind of and that kind of puts it all <laughs> yeah. into perspective. Yeah, you know, he would only do stuff that he wanted to do. Yeah, not necessarily stuff because it was gonna, I don't know, advance his career or whatever. Which is not a bad thing either because that's part of the business. You know, that, you know, people do that as filmmakers. You know, that you you do stuff to paycheck movie. You know, yeah, it, isn't it? And, and, and it might not just be a paycheck movie. It might be a movie that you think is okay. You know, I'll do it. But but Millis was just a little different. I think in that in that regard. And Elvis Mitchell says it best. I think he just didn't do movies that he didn't want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's part of his charm, of his persona, is that everything he did in life is what he wanted. It was his life. It was his show, which clearly will piss off a million people uh, along the way, particularly in Hollywood, where you have to play politics, where you have to say the right thing, where you have to look the right part. And Milius is the exact opposite of that, right? Milius, if anything, probably enjoys poking the bear with a stick a little and just seeing, you know, he enjoys, it's sort oh, of yeah. like the thing with you is like my two conditions, you know, one of them is don't show me with guns. You know, he enjoys that element of messing with people. <laughs> oh, and, absolutely. Uh, Everything, I think, I think a lot of what he did in his career that actually probably backfired later in his career was strictly for effect. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. it was well thought out strictly for effect and to get a reaction from yep. someone. And, you know, that might have shot him in the foot, no pun intended, but that might have shot him in the foot 
in, certainly. His, in his career. Certainly. Especially when 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 um when the industry turned into a corporation. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and then big money like that doesn't tolerate people like John Milius. No, because it's scary. You don't Absolutely. know what he's gonna come up with at the end. You have to trust him one hundred percent. And when you're investing many, 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 many millions of dollars, most of these guys are like Screw art. Just give me something that I'm sure is going to sell enough tickets. That's gonna draw families. That's gonna draw all that stuff. Name one person in 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 Hollywood today that would have the balls to go into a meeting for script notes and pull out his gun and put it on the table. <laughs> Alphonse Cuarón. <laughs> you know. No, yeah. It's but, it's just it's a different. But he did it for effect. Yeah. You know. He did it strictly for effect. And uh, some people knew John more than, knew him better than others and they're like oh John put that thing away you know others would be like oh right. what's going on here security you know there's a story that you guys tell in the documentary about he wasn't happy with uh, Martin Sheen the way he was delivering uh, right. his lines in Apocalypse right. Now and Martin Sheen you know uh, Charlie Sheen in the documentary talks about his dad and say right. yeah my dad is terrorized of guns there's all this thing and Emilius come up hand him a 45 put him in his hand and say okay now read the lines and Martin Sheen is like is it loaded he's like of course it's loaded now read the lines you know and according to Emilius the lines improved dramatically at that point <laughs> oh yeah that's the take they used <laughs> yeah he needed he needed him to sound uh, authentic and yeah. he just wasn't sounding authentic and like Charlie Sheen says he's like his dad's a total pacifist and, then, and John's like, well, hold on, give me a second. He goes out to his car, gets his 45, he loads it, you know, and he, yep. he, he loads one in the chamber and he puts it in Martin's hand and read the lines. And his hand's shaking a little bit and you get that little quiver in your voice and, hey, next thing you know, we got the take. Yep. Can you imagine today, yeah, with most Hollywood yeah, stars, you go in and you put a loaded gun in somebody's face. It's like, that's insane. You know, you know there is there is a couple of actors maybe that would just kind of be okay with that. Yeah, Cause sure. Because you know sure. it gets them in that, in that, in that frame of mind. But for 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 a studio, yeah, no, no. Like, I mean, especially in this day and age where everyone's so paranoid, and you know, with you know guns and etc. Yep. You know, there's just too much panic for someone to even joke like that. Oh yeah, of course, you know? of course. You know, it's like Milius did, like we were talking about, would do things for effect and just to get a reaction mm-hmm. and just and, and and but more so, more so is to is to have a story to tell later. You know, that was his big thing. Right. Uh, for instance, you know, he uh, this is one of the stories that didn't make it in the documentary. We were trying to squeeze it in. But, you know, like many of the stories that hit the cutting room floor, you know, Milius had invited the entire chapter of the Hells Angels, Ventura chapter of the Hells Angels <laughs> to lunch on the Warner lot. He gave them all drive ons <laughs> <laughs> and they all showed up. Of course. And and everybody was terrified. And they're like, John, you can't do this like you. They're my friends. And, you know. Of course, right. John, those are the one of the many reasons or many things that probably John wasn't welcome back on the lot for, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I can for, see for why. doing stuff like that. Right. And, and, but, but here's the thing. Here we are talking about it how many years later. Yep. And I think that that more than anything satisfies John yep. as, as, as his character mm-hmm. and as his personality. He's like, yeah, but they're going to tell that story forever. <laughs> I'll <Yep>. sacrifice my <laughs> office for this story to be told 20 years later, you know. And that's what you got to admire, you know, a guy who's got to just have a career that could go everywhere he wants and just be like, yeah, you know, if I do it, I do it. If I don't, I don't. But I'm going to do it my own way. And if people don't like it, well, tough shit, because that's a great story. And uh, But I honestly believe that John, you know, he I, in, in my heart, I believe I believe that, you know, there's some 
somewhere in there he would have loved to kept working, obviously, sure. as, a, as a creative person. And maybe has a little ounce of regret for certain things, but I still feel like if he had to do it all over again, he would do the, he same. Would, he would do the yeah. same thing. I have no doubt about that. Yes, because that's that's him. You know, that's, absolutely. You can, I you, think to him, what's more important to him is, uh, and this is me saying mm-hmm. my opinion. What's more important to him is is just how people view his character. Yeah, you know, which is what your movie captures. Perfectly, right? Because I mean, I know you were doing a movie, to, a documentary about Milius. So I was intrigued. I was like, "This is gonna be cool." Anyway, you know, I'm, I'm interested regardless of what it looks like. But then the way the final product, when I got to see it, it that's what it captures. Is more than you know. You guys have an awesome cast, right? You have like from Spielberg, Harrison Ford, Schwarzenegger. You know, everybody the Milius work with. There are so many different people. Charlie Sheen, all these stories that pop up from these great guys. So your documentary would work, quote unquote, just because of that. But that's not it. You know, the documentary is amazing because it captures Milius' spirit. And that's that's the element. That's it's not just telling me. I'll be I'll be honest with you, man. When 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 you say that and you guys say that, it's it's a huge compliment to us because we really tried to get that across. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just going to be hopefully it wasn't just going to be, you know, his legacy as a filmmaker, because that's undeniable. You can you can you just see that it's it's already cemented in history what he's accomplished uh, to, and, and its contributions to cinema. Right. But what we really we what we really wanted to get across too was his personality. You know this character and whether it's it's good and evil, like you said. You know it's interesting and it is part of pop culture and it's part of history and it's part of his history, not just his work. Yep. It's all a combination of, of of everything he's done. You know. No, and it's uh, it's it really is glorious. I don't I don't say stuff just to say it. I really love this documentary. I so appreciate much. that. I appreciate that. Very I much. sent a few emails out to a few people saying, "Oh, check it out, check it out." If I like within hours from when I sent an email, I got this email back from Mike V, who was like this wild skateboarder sort of a legend of nobody would appreciate it more than mike v mike was like oh this was awesome this was <laughs> amazing because that's you know he's a guy like that right mm-hmm. that's how he's done in the skateboarding world mm-hmm. that's he brings the same attitude that milius would bring to the hollywood movies and and he was really into it and yeah, um, you got to respect anybody that's just going to do things their way yeah you that's, know and, and and just kind of never waver from that yep I respect most people that work their sums that way. You know, that's that's. It's funny you say that because I've been asked many times of, about what did I learn most about John or, or through this project, and what I really learned is that I, I, I've I've learned to admire this person a lot more than I thought I already did, mm-hmm. and that's strictly based on him kind of like staying true to his character and, and and being that old throwback guy to where it's like, hey man. If I shake your hand, that means something to yep. me, and it goes a long way. It's like that old mentality of of I'll hold you to your word, yep. and that's the way I am, you right. know. And that's the way I am with my friends. We hold each other to our words, and it's very important. Loyalty is very important, and that's kind of like what I really uh, grew to admire about John. He, he's 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 really that guy. He yep. really is. Going back just to talk about how great the movie is, we were chatting before we started rolling about. I thought you had used the Trevor cl- uh, trick using only his old interviews because when you see him it's him back in the day you know in those right. moments and that just made it so incredibly tasty without giving away why they had to switch it out anyway but well yeah you know i mean if you hadn't seen the movie um there's there's this part in the movie in the in the documentary where where we show john in his current condition where he had a stroke unfortunately had mm-hmm. a stroke and what happened was 
the whole project had a whole different kind of take when we first started. And, and uh, my partner, director partner Zach and I were in New Jersey working on some show. And from there, we were going to go up to upstate New York to do our first interview with John. And we were already like a year into this project. Wow. And so we hadn't rolled any footage on, on Milius yet. And we get a phone call that says, uh, hey, guys, um, just kind of um, we're going to have to scratch that for now. We'll call you later. And we're kind of like, oh, man, what happened? Or, you know, is did John flake on us? That sucks because we've been we've become friends over the year. And he's been really excited about this project. You know, since day one, John was on board, you know. And uh, turned out he unfortunately, you know, had a stroke. And we're like, whoa. So we kind of put the project on the shelf for for about eight months, eight, nine months. And then John came out to Santa Monica to start his rehab. Well, he's had rehab already, but he, mm-hmm. he was doing some serious rehab out here in Santa Monica uh, from New York. And we had lunch with him. We took him over by the beach, you know, of course. And uh, we had lunch with him and, his, and, and some of his family, his uh, son. And uh, we talked about the documentary a little bit. And should we proceed? You know, how do you guys feel about that? And his son goes, I really want you guys to keep going forward. I think it's important. Awesome. And his son, Ethan, was like a big advocate. And Amanda, his daughter, Amanda, was a big advocate of ours. And they really trusted us with everything, which was kind of awesome, including John. You know, he really trusted us with telling his story, like completely gave us creative freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, amazing. And um, and the funny thing was when we asked John, I'm going, John, because he understood what we're saying. You know, his his speech was impaired, his writing's impaired, but he his his thought was all there. We can we can, he knows exactly what you're saying. And we asked him, you know, would you like us to continue? And he kind of smiled and he put his hand up and he he in his index finger up in the air and started pulling like a trigger. You know, and he's like, <laughs> yes, yes. So we're like, we'll take that as a, as a hardcore yes, and we just moved on from there. You that's, know, that's well, that's awesome. So it, 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 it honestly became a real challenge for us because now we had to find Milius's voice mm-hmm. and we had to go find these old audio tapes and old interviews and any kind of clippage and 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 footage and audio clips anything we can find we we're just compiling it and basically having to paste together his voice right. throughout throughout this throughout the story um and use his friends and and uh, peers and colleagues and and, and um Contemporaries to, to help tell his story also. Yeah. That's, that's almost like the shark not working on Jaws. It was yeah. almost a gift for you guys that it enabled you to sort of shape it using his older voice. Yeah, we had to, you know, it was and let the others tell the story. Yeah, it was one of those things where, where as a document, as a documentarian, anyone who's worked on a documentary will know that you start with an idea. You have this 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 <laughs> set of you know plot points that you want to hit definitely to tell a certain story or certain narrative. And then, you know, you come to a crossroad, a crossroad where, unfortunately, something happens, and you kind of have to figure it out from there. Yep. And Mike, then, Mike Tyson for you. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> That's right. That's uh, exactly it's amazing right. how true. I mean, you get started, and you're focused, and this is our thing, we're going to do it, and you have no idea that by the end, that thing over to the right you really didn't even notice mm-hmm. when you started yes. ends up being the whole thing. It's yep. amazing how it turns over and over again. I mean, it was interesting, but but, but it turned out, Maybe this was the way it was meant to be seen. Yeah. You know, that's the way we have to look at it. We can't go like, oh, what, what it was supposed to be, what could have been. No, this is just it the is way it was, it was supposed yeah. to be told. Because it really, it, that's how it captures his essence. I yeah. think if you had him as an older cat, you know, at the beginning, still being cool and still being himself, I don't think he really would have had that mystery guy from the back of the classroom. That, that's, you know. that's, that's but, possible. But what point. I love, too, is that when they did the show, John, now, when they did have that clip at the end that of spark was also going there. off and going shooting, yeah. and uh, there's that... He's still the same guy, yeah, you know. It's, he's still there. Stroke, no stroke. Can yeah. he speak much? Can he not? 
he's the same guy he's right there and uh it's powerful it's powerful because you guys don't overdo it don't but there's that element <clears throat> that shows him now and you don't get any feeling of you don't feel sorry you don't feel you feel <clears throat> this man is as a hell of a lot of pride as a hell of a lot of intensity and he's still all there that was know? very that was actually very important for us is that we didn't want to <clears throat> we didn't want to exploit no. him in his in his condition and it was a little it was a little bit of, of pulling teeth with john at that time we're like hey john we we this is the reasons why we have to show you in your current condition mm -hmm. you know people have been wondering like you know you've been out of the limelight 20 plus years they're going to want to know what you're up to and that was the original plan too right so now we have to kind of show what's going on with your life and by no means do we want to show you as this weak person who's had the stroke and just defenseless and just just can't right. do anything we want to show you like progressing look you, you you've gotten better and you're still this strong willed person yep. and all you're doing is moving forward so we we we, we planned to shoot him like for instance some of his more of his therapy and stuff like mm -hmm. that but it was still and, and and rightfully so you have to understand john doesn't want to be shown in that way of course and, you know he's he, we, we just spent an hour something about an hour you know, explain how big this guy is and now we just show him in this in this vulnerable state sure. it's kind of hard but it was necessary but i like the fact that it didn't play you guys say it didn't play like we were trying to make you feel sorry for him no. that's not the point not at all and that was not the point when we were trying to explain it to him. so he finally gave us the green light to say okay guys you, you, you that's fine go ahead and then so we, we put him in a situation where he felt better let's take you to the gun range yep you know <laughs> we'll put you in your element right we'll show people that you know you're still you yep you know how many cameras do you have in that gun range three in that gun range no we just had two Two cameras. That could be very frustrating. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Deep in my past, I did hunting and fishing shows. And the days we had to go to the goddamn gun range was never. Yeah. Tons and, and, of and, 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 and at one point, we only used one. Wow. One camera. And we just, you know, just were real patient and slow and, you know, whatever we can get. And it was one of those things where we were very careful because John was still kind of like, get that camera out of my face. Yep. So as soon as you felt that little tension, you're like, hey, let's back off a little bit. Yep. And then when he starts feeling a little better... We'll just get it back on him. And then we, we found a nice balance of when to remove ourselves for, for a little bit and then come back in. Nice. So we were very patient that way. And it, and, and it, and it worked out. You know, he really, when he first watched the rough cut, he, that was one of the sections where we we're like, okay, he's just going to hate it and he's going to want us to cut it out. No, he said he 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 actually really loved it. Nice, well, that's awesome. You probably lost sleep over that. Oh, man, that was, I, <laughs> we, we were never more nervous and that was a, a, a rough cut. Yeah. I mean, none of the effects were done. It was still like being heavily edited, but he really wanted to see something. So our big idea was like, here's our strategy, guys. We're going to invite some of your friends, some of John's friends, yeah. to come watch it with you. That way, they get to see themselves back in the day, reminisce, and then it really helped. It right. made John feel comfortable, and yeah. they loved it. And they're like, John, that's awesome. It's like watching home movies with you. Right. And so from that moment, John was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm yeah. good. He, he just kept going like, yes, yes, love. And it was one of the biggest compliments because he patted his heart and he goes, love, love, love. Oh, we're like, nice. We're nice, good, guys. Nice, we're nice. good here, you know. So it made us feel really good that day and uh, definitely nervous, but it was awesome. There's a cool story that you guys tell. Actually, is um, John's son telling the documentary about the stroke and what happens after. And it say that, you know, for a while, there's just no response, right? Mm -hmm. And then just... They try, they try, they try, and he's just not responding. He's there, he's alive, he's breathing, but there's no... And they say that the one time when he start 
coming back and responding is when his son start playing the theme from uh, the Conan soundtrack which that by the way is one of the I think that Nilius did brilliantly he picked a guy to do his soundtracks who was a god at mm. that you mm. know the I'm gonna fuck up his name because it's some Greek name that I absolutely can't pronounce and I never heard pronounce so I'm taking a stab there but <laughs> Basil, Basil Paul de Ruiz Basil, Basil Paul thank you that's mm. As I said, Basil pulled the away. Right? <laughs> yeah, he, right. like that guy, you know, he did the soundtrack to Big Wednesday. He did the soundtrack to um, Conan. He did some of these iconic, you know, if you wanted epic, you would go with that guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I think as much as I love Conan, everything, you know, the writing, the directing, the whole thing. I think half of the movie is the soundtrack. I mean, the oh. music is amazing. Well, if those guys that he came from, Spielberg, if Spielberg, Lucas, and Coppola don't know about music being important, yeah. nobody does. Absolutely. And Scorsese as well. I mean, God, where, where would George Lucas be without John Williams? Absolutely. It, it, it's become part of the, it becomes yeah. part of the narrative. Yeah. And know, I absolutely. love that, you know, drawn in this weakened state, in this no responsive state, when the music of Conan comes out, it's like, yeah, okay. He lights up. Let's go, you know, and is, uh, yeah, man, that's just, that's amazing right there. Did you have a favorite interview along the way where you're like, I cannot believe we're going to X's house or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we interviewed a lot of people, obviously, you guys saw the movie, but there was one in particular who was my absolute favorite because um, it's someone that I've admired even as as a kid watching his movies. And, 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 I, and it was kind of surreal thinking back, like, <laughs> going like, I never once thought when I was watching this movie as a kid that I would be sitting in front of the guy who made this movie. Mm-hmm. That never crossed my mind ever. So to me, in my own little world, that was such a big deal, you know? And it was uh, Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah. I can of course. Imagine. It's funny that you say that because uh, Zach and I, when we do the interviews, <clears throat> we kind of just kind of, it was a toss of the coin. There was really no rhyme or reason how we did this. We'd, we, we, we were a two man band. We set up the lights, the cameras, and. You know, we'd work on the questions the night before or the, you know, whatever, even that morning, it depended on the, on the interview we were doing. And when we got there, it's like, oh, you do it today. I'll do it today or tomorrow. We never really go, I'm going to do this one. I'm going to do that one, except for two interviews. One of them was Scorsese. Like, motherfucker, I'm doing Scorsese. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you say. I'm right. doing Mars Scorsese. <laughs> and then when we interviewed Steven Spielberg, here comes Zach the nerd going like, I'm doing Steven it's Spielberg, mine. dude. Yeah, I'm doing this one's yeah, mine. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I got it. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Yeah, because you guys have put together quite a cast there, which, again, because Milius had his sense in so many things, inevitably, because you work with everybody, right? So there's Yeah, and, you know, part of the, one of the reasons why this project did take so long, aside from us putting it on the shelf because of John's condition, was trying to lock down some of these people that are in this documentary. Of course. You know, it really took a long time. Like, someone like Scorsese, it, it, it took us a little while, and, and, and Clint Eastwood, it took us a while. So, you know... Originally, we had a list of like 15 interviews. If we get these 15, we're gold. You know, it turned out to be we interviewed 65 plus people. Wow. And everyone had something to say that was kind of like relevant and important. You know, obviously we couldn't fit every story. But originally when we first started the project, it was really hard to get anyone on board. Mm -hmm. Because, you know... It, it wasn't looked at like it's some legitimate project. It's like two dudes with a camera doing this documentary, like fanboys or something, you know? <laughs> and like we're just fans of this guy. And, it, it, you know, nobody's going to take you serious sometimes, yeah, you know? Sure. So our strategy was like, um, 
we need to get like two big names. Right. If we get two big names, it kind of legitimizes the project. Yep. And everybody else kept asking who else is in it. We can tell them that they were in it. And we were so lucky to be able to get uh, Lucas and uh, Schwarzenegger in the same weekend. And Schwarzenegger nice. was still governor at the time. So that was a big get for us. So our strategy definitely worked because when we would request other interviews, they're like, well, who else is in it? Who's else participating? We're like, well, John's fully on board. We just got Lucas. We got Spielberg. And now we just got Bob Gale. And uh, uh, so-and-so's committed. And Oliver Stone and Risa Hidu were just waiting on time. It's like, okay, okay. So then we started building some momentum. Right, of course. And it just kind of steamrolled from there. And yep. we, were, we were able to get certain people that we thought we were never going to be able to yeah. get. Tell our fine podcasting friends the Oliver Stone connection because I had no idea. Oh, the Oliver Stone wrote the original draft for Conan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oliver had written the original draft for uh, Conan the Barbarian. And when it got into John's hands, obviously John wrote his own version. But that was a quick little... Uh, uh, gap in there for Conan, which would re- actually would have been interesting. I would have loved to read uh, Oliver's version of it, to be honest with sure. you. Sure. You know, he's such an interesting dude. And uh, and if I need to bring up Oliver, because he was actually one of my other favorite interviews, because if you notice in the documentary, it seems like Oliver was the only one that was really like super candid mm-hmm. and, and really said stuff that might have been unflattering of John in certain cases, but that's how much he respects him right. and loves him that he can actually just say something knowing that that he's not going to be offended by it. Right. That he's just like, hey, man, that's the truth, especially when he says... Exactly. He was in the room. He know how it went. Yeah, <laughs> especially when he says John hasn't progressed as, you know, politically, you know, in, in that regard. And I, and I really respected that he he was candid like that. Sure. Does. But yeah, as far as uh, Conan, yeah, um, Oliver did write an early draft of Conan the Barbarian, if anybody didn't know that. You know? And they were, and it was the two of them on Apocalypse Now, right? No. It, no, it wasn't them? No, no, no. Oh, it, that was Conan, the two of them. Okay, yeah, gotcha. It was just gotcha, Conan. Gotcha. It, it, but, but, but John would always uh, talk to Oliver about his... Uh, experience. Viet- Vietnam, ex- that's what it was. His ex- okay. experience in Vietnam, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as, as Oliver says, John had a love of war, which Oliver didn't. Right, you know? of course. And uh, no, for sure. The Conan thing that drives me nuts that you guys bring up in the documentary is that Milius' plan was to uh, make a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and <clears throat> then, you know, they yanked it for him, which makes me cry to this day because oh, yeah, he imagine three Conan movies by Milius. Because that's the other thing, you know, they have tried to do, they did a sequel, not a Milius sequel to oh, Conan, right. still with Schwarzenegger and everything. And it sucked. It was painful to mm. watch. They did the one recently, what was a year, two years ago or something, which is like, it's okay. It doesn't tell me. I don't care. You know, there's no... There's no epic there. There's some big dude with muscle who looked the part. They he got would the be dude a good, right. Yeah, he, he would he be a good, good actor. But as far as everything else about it, I'm like, Conan is, you know, if you get a guy like Howard, you know, the writer of Conan, mm. Milius didn't do the what some fans were pissed off about. It's like, Howard is this amazing writer. If you're going to do a Conan movie, you need to do it, you know, by the book, what Howard wrote. And he's like, you never do anything by the book. Nothing is ever going to be. It's like the same as Tolkien. You know, you're not going to do Lord of the Rings exactly the way Lord of the Rings is. And that's fine. The thing is to capture the spirit and to capture our spirit, mm-hmm. who's a guy who's already crazy and over mm-hmm. the top in so many ways, nobody better than Milius. I mean, Milius wrote the screenplay, not really basing it on one hour story, mixing bits and pieces of our story, throwing in his own thing, changing radical in that regard. But the spirit there, to me, it's identical. It's yeah, he really right wanted. He on. really by the by the by the third movie, I think, uh, Millis really really wanted to uh, like humanize um, 
Conan, you know? I used to call him like a thinker, uh, someone who sulks and just like uh, has a lot on his mind, you know, other than just being brutal, you know, which is which is pretty awesome. I w- that, w- that would have been really nice to see. The one that they are doing now, they did they ask at all anything from John or did oh, they the ask? one that the one that just got done before with the no, the, the one that's the coming up with King Conan, right? Hager, King Conan. You, know, you know, I think there was some connection uh, with with John in that. And I don't know the, the status of that, to be honest okay. with you. But I do think and I want to say that they wanted to involve him in some way okay but i don't i'm not 100 on that so what happened with that right. how much there is right. yeah because that to me is like that's why all the attempts to make conan movies is like if you don't have milus it's fucking out i don't care you right. know it's not really a conan it, to me when i say conan is not just it's our the writing was amazing for if you want to read stuff and if you want to see it in movies it's milius that's it otherwise any other attempt is doomed to failure and james Earl jones is a bad guy Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that works well. Yeah. You guys open up the documentary with this beautiful, it's a quote that, that the Roosevelt quote that um, Milius used at the beginning of The Wind and the Lion, mm-hmm. another wild, crazy movie of Shane Connery as this Arabian sheikh. It's brilliant, right? <laughs> But it's, there's this quote, like the whole extended, I'll just throw it out there for listeners in case. It's one of the most uh, repeated to the point of being rhetoric, Roosevelt mm-hmm. quote, just because it's so, but it's so damn good, you know, mm-hmm. it's so, and it's very Milius Dadon, and it's very, in many ways, it's very much the story of many of these people that we're bringing up as examples, from Evan Tanner to uh, Mike V to, you know, all of these people who are really about just living their own life, no matter mm-hmm. what. There's this quote that goes, um, it is not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there are no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spent himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, and so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I mean, you got to believe in time travel and that Milius <laughs> just was writing Roosevelt's speeches, because uh, that's... Y- you would think, yeah. That's Milius right there, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like word by word it's these are it's the way Milius writes well, but t- you have- Teddy Roosevelt spent a lot of time looking for his war too didn't he he was kind of too young so he was in Milius as well obviously what flat feet or asthma or asthma asthma, asthma. It, that had to be a crushing day yeah. for him he was ready to yeah. go yeah I mean he he says it he says it in the in the in the documentary he's like his life his life was basically had his course in life was to join the military be a fighter pilot and die by age 26 that was his plan <laughs> when i sit down and think my plan is to die by 26 as somebody who's gonna make me explode as i'm fighting in the sky i know but did a damn one of his plan past 30 i'm certain yeah. i didn't back in the day like, and, you know and he says uh, since he couldn't do it because of his asthma the next best thing was to be a director yeah, he I, wanted to be a general at one point he goes but I, he goes the next best thing is to be a director which is kind of goes makes you wonder like huh yeah exactly say what 
I think the the story he tells is that he spent a week watching Kurosawa movies mm-hmm. back yeah. to back, and he got into that, and he's like, "Well, I guess then that's the." This is something I think I can do. Yeah, I just don't think he understands the loyalty factor of his 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 troops behind him as a director, not yeah. nearly as intense as the uh, the guys that are. Well, the funny thing that. is, you talk to some of his act, uh, some of the actors that work in his movies, and they're like, "Yeah, John ran the set like like." Like basically, like a mili- like military yeah. boot camp, and you know, like if you're in the military, there was this rank system that he had going on, and I just think that was part of his his uh, his joking around too. Right, where he's like, we're gonna run it like this, you know, and you know, he, he in the back of his mind, he was he was General Patton, you know. And with that kind of guy, you know, there's always half joking, half not at all, and you never quite know no, where right. you're at, unless you really know, yeah, know him for a while. You kind of sit back and go like, I, I don't know how to take this. Is is he real or or, or not? And it's just, and I think that's that's the whole effect that he's going for. One of the quotes that you guys have in there, I forgot who says that, which is beautiful. He described Milius as the teddy bear with the AK forty seven. Oh yeah, I was like, yep, that's dead on right there. That was uh, Randall Kleiser, also from USC. Um, you know, he he described him perfectly when 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 he gave us that that quote in our heads. We're like. That is going to be an awesome soundbite because it describes him so much. Right. And then later on, we find this picture of John holding a shotgun, actually holding a teddy bear. Right. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, wow. That does it. You know, and also Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott gave us one of the greatest one-liners that we put in our little trailer that, that really picked up a lot of steam because everybody gravitated to that line where he says, he doesn't write for women, he doesn't write for pussies, he writes for men because he's a man. <laughs> and we're like, holy shit. Thank you so much, dude. Yeah. Thank you so much for even thinking of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, and that's the thing that the, where he gets a bad rap and all the backlash that he had and probably why his career didn't go the way it could have been and all of that is because there's, particularly in Hollywood, there's the idea of Milius as a right-wing guy, as like this crazy fascist conservative or something. And that, to me, is really missing the point because he's really looking at politics in a very dualistic fashion, that you're either you're either left-wing or you're right-wing. Mm-hmm. And if you're left-wing, it means this and this. And if you're right-wing, it means this and this. And Milius clearly escapes those definitions, which by default, among people who think that there are only two options, if they dare recognize you as one of their guys, they automatically think you're one of the other camp. It's and never it's never that black and white. No. Especially with John. I mean, I mean, literally, in the documentary, um, uh, it's slipping my mind, who says it, um, uh, Walter Murch mm-hmm. says it, uh, that John once said, uh, I'm really a hippie. Everybody yeah. thinks I'm right wing, but I'm really a hippie. It's just, it's just that the hippies wouldn't let me king. And I want to be king. <laughs> and I yes. want to be king. That was a beautiful <laughs> quote. <I> so <laughs> you can just imagine, like, you know, he, he's very in between. He has his, his views, his political views, and he has his liberal views at the same time. I, I mean, it's his right wing views and his liberal yeah. views and his political uh, beliefs. But, uh, you know, some people just see that as uh, black and white. There's never a gray area. Just because he's this loud spoken you know very patriotic man who who's a gun toting as some people call him right wing wacko that's just that's that's just a very bland description of this yeah. man you know the man loves his guns there's no argument there but right. that doesn't make him conservative in the classic stereotype that people have of what conservatives and are and he's conservative or, to a certain degree of course. In, 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 of course and so are a lot of libertarians yeah. in a certain degree very conservative but in the world of Hollywood at a certain time, oh, yeah. 
it's looked at as very like you are either with us or against yep. us, yep. vice Precisely. versa. You know? And when John described himself as a Zen anarchist, that's not the kind of definition that in Hollywood they would have even understood what I mean, even yep. the quote you brought up, you know, I'm really a hippie. People think I'm right wing, but I'm a hippie. Mm -hmm. It just the hippies wouldn't let me king and I want to be king. <laughs> Who the hell says that? You know, and most importantly, people listening, what do they understand of what he's actually saying? Because but who the hell says that at that time in yeah. college? Yeah. You can already see like the way he thinks. Yep. And it just translates to his writing, you know? Yep. This is the stuff he was saying when he was in college. <laughs> they hate us for our freedom. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's the thing that, in fact, to me is like, People who, you know, I'm clearly very far from having nourishing conservative politics or anything. And so the fact that if I worship Milius, that's telling you something about his so-called right-wing stuff. Yeah, It's not that. It's something else. It's something that there's a friend of mine that um, he's one of, he's probably the best Italian writer there is. Unfortunately, he never published in English. He always wrote in Italian. And he's this novelist who's so kick-ass i mean his novels are like milius novels you know he writes this guy sergio altieri he's brilliant right and when i hang out with him to me it's like it's another guy who has that milius personality crazy i may disagree with some stuff but it's irrelevant it doesn't matter he's an epic human being in 360 degrees <clears throat> which doesn't mean that every single thing needs to click with yours it's just that human quality that transcends left wing right wing it transcends all of that bullshit that ultimately has nothing to do with your heart it's surface stuff and it's they're just that passion which is what i care about ultimately nothing else matters that much and that's what one i got to love about milius all the way is that and you know in the studios of course that's not the way it's gonna work no. i mean you guys bring up some brilliant stories of how the studios wanted him to change uh, so, i mean he got a lot of time like when he wrote for example oh, we didn't bring that up yet he wrote uh, jeremiah johnson which is the oh. movie about uh, we told that story before in the podcast the liver eating johnson you know the guy uh, can you imagine that they actually allowed him to write the movie the way he wanted because they say they kept about half of the script mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. and then they didn't let him direct it all of that that would have been a movie you know or you know you <laughs> get the when he did the, he did the judge roy bean with the tagline, I want peace and I don't care why I have to kill to get it, you know, <laughs> those things. And, and again, they didn't let him direct it. And that's part of what you said about him, about directing for self-defense, because mm -hmm. he was mad at other people who dated his scripts and just chop its stuff up in a way that didn't work anymore. There's a couple of stories you guys tell of when at one point he gives, uh, he tells a studio exec about um, the storyline. And the studio said, ah, I don't like it. It would never work. It's crap. It's I don't I don't want to hear it. And he was telling her uh, Macbeth, Shakespeare Macbeth. And oh, yeah, and the yeah. Whole, that's, yeah. you know, or when a big Wednesday, they ask him to do a rewrite and he for the rewrite, you would have to put them in blue pages and he sent the exact same script in blue pages. And now they're like, ah, we love it. This is yeah. perfect. And he's like. You're in the hands of people. Lou. Welcome to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Don't exactly have that artistic pulse. And, and that was before the accountants truly had a hold of everything. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 I love that, that he just kind of, he just kind of, in his way, was saying, F you. 
and you guys don't even know I'm saying F you. Yeah. That's the funny part. That's the best part. Look at this mural I've painted. <laughs> you squint. Yeah. Can you imagine the fun he must have been having when he's telling a Shakespeare tale to the studio exec who said this is crap, you'll never work? Well, having heard studio execs say this is crap, it's never worked many times, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And not surprisingly, they end up. Uh, what is that they say about his movies that he's a threat to Western civilization? Yeah. It's like Pauline Kael is uh, a critic who just did not like John, and John goes, "Yeah, that's because she's got a crush on me." <laughs> it's <a> perfect response. <laughs> I think she's got a crush on me. So, how yeah. long have you been out here in Los Angeles? You know, I moved out here to L.A. from you know short trip from Orange County, Santa Ana, California. I mean, where I where I grew up, um, which is literally like. 30 miles you know um south of la in early 2000s you know i show up at work and i just was not having it anymore just completely the monotony of of that business you know sucking the life out of me and i i, I quit that morning and i went home i packed my shit and i called up zach I go hey man i think i'm going to la he goes well i got a couch dude so i surfed on his couch for about a year he he actually helped me get the uh he was working with kevin smith on some movie kevin smith was doing and uh I ended up, he ended up helping, helping me out getting a job on, on that movie as a post-production uh, PA, office PA. So I was, I was the guy grabbing coffees and uh, grabbing lunch every day, which was miserable. But the, the, the one thing about being a PA was like you, you get to learn everybody's job. Yep. And, uh, you know, you don't take for granted how hard being a PA on any level is. And I think everyone should experience that in some way, especially for the young people, you know. Um, but I, I definitely go like, I don't ever want to do this again. Right. You know, I want, I want to progress from this. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I'll fast forward and I'll keep a long, long story short. Um, you know, there was a, a, a 10th anniversary edition of the, the uh, Cl- uh, Kevin Smith's Clerks that they were going to do a big three DVD uh, package for. And they wanted to do a, a feature length documentary on the story of Clerks. And we were lucky enough to be a part of that w- with the guy who asked us to help. His name was Phil Benson. You know, we hadn't done anything yet as far as to that extent. And uh, he goes, Joey, okay, here's a digital camera. Digital cameras are still kind of fresh at that moment, believe it or not. He goes, uh, here's the camera. You learn to be the camera guy. Zach, you're going to do sound. And both of you guys are going to figure out lighting. And uh, David Klein, who was uh, Kevin Smith's uh, uh, DP, gave us a crash course in lighting and we we're off and running and we did like 300 hours in three weeks and then we shot the story of clerks That's and to awesome. us that was like our film school and then after that we're like how do we parlay this man let's just keep doing it yeah because documentaries was not the first thing we wanted to do right absolutely not you come to holly you want to make movies like everybody else and yeah. uh you know I, I really learned to love documentaries it's, it's a tough way to make a a, a a movie but it's also very creative mm-hmm. you know it's one of the most creative ways of of, of telling the story and uh that was kind of like where 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 we uh, got our start. You definitely have the best opportunity to keep it your story. Sure, it's not going to get remolded and rewritten on you. Absolutely, absolutely. Not that it can't, yeah. but yeah. If you're here to tell a story, you know, tell a true one that you believe in. You'll at least be able to tell the one you want to. Yeah, but, but yeah, you know, it was it was a it was a funky um, and and funny little journey from the strip club to coming out here to try to. <laughs> I mean, make movies. think about that. It's like. The DJ and the bouncer at the strip club in wherever, they are then sitting with Spielberg interviewing him. <laughs> Kevin Smith is writing that movie as we speak. We never we never once thought that was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you can't make that never, stuff up if we you never try. You know, we got to meet, and this, you know, the, the blessing of this documentary, aside from being able to tell the story for John, was that, 
you know, as people who grew up loving these movies and, 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 you know, fans of these filmmakers, we got to meet like every single filmmaker that we admired yep. and from, and, and got to meet all these filmmakers and directors um, and writers from movies that we grew up watching. It was, it, it was pretty surreal. It was kind of neat in that sense as a, on, on a personal level for us. Sometimes we'd be driving home like, can you fucking believe yep. that we just sat with this dude? Man, that's insane. Yep. Yeah. And sometimes we'd just be quiet, like, Stunned silence. <laughs> you know, radio silence. It's like, what was that? We that didn't was know awesome. Clint Eastwood was going to be mean. But it's no, funny. when you He's hit. actually a really cool dude. Man. No, I'm just playing. Everybody was so cool. I'll, I'll, I'll say that, is that every every interview we did, everyone was so, like, super, super cool. No, it, was, it was pretty there awesome. There is an element, yeah, when you see the people that you grew up with. You know, mm -hmm. you watch Star Wars when you are, you know, five years old or something, and you see uh, Harrison Ford in front of, hey, Han Solo, you know, or Indiana Jones. And it's like, there's that element that's surreal. As, uh, uh, Harrison is actually, he's the father of a good friend of mine. So I remember one time I went to this party of this friend of mine, and so there's his dad, and so he introduced us to his dad. And, uh, you know, there was um, other people other people with me were just like their eyes were just frozen just couldn't be like oh that's harrison ford and i remember i just couldn't resist i was like because he was super cool right just acting like you know mm -hmm. the normal human being and i'm sure he is in other ways and he was like hello uh, harrison and you know introducing himself like he needs to right and uh and i remember just because i don't know what the fuck gets in my brain when in those situations but i went like I'm sorry, you said Harrison, right? Is that... Okay, good. Good to meet you. That, you know, like you didn't know his yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, what was your name again? Oh, okay. It's not what you hear every yeah. day. Yeah, I was... I had fun. <laughs> that was yeah, but for the most part, I mean, everyone was awesome. And I'm not just saying that, you know, because just to say it, but sure. everyone was actually genuinely really, really cool and glad to talk about John. And they were... You know, they to them it was like reminiscing in these stories, and and it was it was pretty it was pretty awesome to see. I know? bet, I bet. No, it does look like you guys did an amazing job. It does look like you guys had fun doing it. I mean, the end result is so cool that I can imagine. I'm sure it was hell. It was hard, like any sure. project that's worthwhile. But at the end of the day, came out beautiful. So for now, we've been talking people serious off about it. How do they get to see it? Oh, if you guys, right now we got distribution here in, uh, in the U.S., television distribu distribution through Epix Networks, E-P-I-X. So if you go to epixhd.com slash milius, it'll take you right to the page. But if you don't remember slash milius, just go to epixhd.com uh, and in the search engine, type in milius and it'll come right up. And actually... Um, you can sign up for free and watch mm -hmm. it for free. There's like a 30-day free trial. Right. And uh, so anybody who wants to watch, man, go to check it out. EPIXHD.com. Beautiful. And uh, you get to watch the movie for free. And you're saying maybe you guys are going to do a DVD or not sure yet? You know, the, the, we're still in the talks for that. Okay. I, I, the reason I would love to do a DVD is just basically so everybody um, gets to see some of the other goodies that were cut out. You mm -hmm. know, there's really great stories and interviews. There's like a few of my favorite stories that was really hard not to put in the in the movie of where course. George George Hamilton credits John Milius for saving his life from a crazy hooker with a gun <laughs> shooting him. And that didn't make it in the movie. Wow. I want to cry. <laughs> yes. Literally, I wanted to start the movie with that story. Yeah. It, you know, it's just one of those things you got to pick and choose, you know. Of course. And uh, John shows up. He calls John, actually. I'm, I'm going to give you the short version. He calls John. Hamilton calls John because they're, I forget whether they're staying in the same hotel or something like that. And 
and John comes and he's he's wearing a helmet and a flak jacket and a gun. He's like, this lawn is remote detonated, you know, and they jump on the girl and tackle her. And like, now listen, whether the story is true or not, it's an awesome story. And you can tell me that story all day long and I'm, I'm going to believe it. And know? the thing exactly is only if Milius is a character, people would actually think maybe this is real. You know, right. if you tell it about anybody else, it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, with Milius, you, you never know legend from fact because everything is possible. Well, know? reality has an amazing way of trumping fiction almost every trip of yeah. the great. If it seems too impossible to be true, it probably <laughs> <Right>. is. <laughs> So, you know, there's just nice little nuggets like that of different stories that, that we're able to make. Is That's how we try to cram some stuff during the, the during the, uh, credits. the credits, you know, just to give you a little taste of, of some of the other stuff, you know, like Walter and the Big Lebowski, you know, right. that, that's, you know, it's John Milius, you know. And uh, so, if we, so if we do do a DVD package, that's one of the reasons. And one of the thing that I had, the one of the interviews that we did not get, um, and uh, it was a timing thing, you know, it, it was just we, mm-hmm. we had to deliver um to south by southwest for a premiere was quentin tarantino oh and he had agreed to do it it's just he, then he got confused and he said didn't i already do this project because it was Char- <laughs> it was a uh, hollywood don't serve right and uh and then then they're like no this is a different project he goes well okay i'll do it and then he got caught up with with django and then i know his editor had passed away at that time so it was just timing yeah but he has an amazing story amazing story um about john and I really want people to hear that. So, yeah. so I was thinking, like, maybe for the DVD, we can revisit and do actually do the interview and have, like, this awesome interview with, with Quentin. And if he's anything like John, it's going to be, like, a two-hour interview. You of know course. I mean? So we could just throw it all in the DVD and let people enjoy it that way, you know? <laughs> actually, it's funny that you bring him up because now that I think about it, yeah, who do you remember today as directors, as people that before you even say it's a movie about something or it's a movie with this star, you remember it's a movie by a certain director really today tarantino is one of the few guys who has that he is definitely one of the few yeah and we we he we kind of been asked that who do you think can be not necessarily compared to john but in the sense of that spirit of the the john milius says of the old and we always refer to tarantino in that sentence because he does things his way he puts his movies out his writing and he says what he wants to say and it doesn't seem like he wavers in his thought and creativity he does it his way. Absolutely. And he believes he's, in his in his own work. And if you don't like his work, tough shit. Tough yeah. shit. He's loud, Love he's it. over the top, and mm-hmm. he's who he is. And mm-hmm. proud of it, which Absolutely. is great. Yeah. That describes our audience as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Anything else you're working on that you want to throw out there? Or you know, there's a couple of things that that, that uh we're working on. I got something on my own um that's uh uh, uh a boxing uh, documentary that, mm-hmm. I'm, that I really love boxing and uh, I'm trying to work on that. And uh, Zach and I are actually trying to develop a, another legendary uh, uh, Hollywood figure documentary. And since you're Italian, I, I, I could tell you it's uh, a story on uh, Dino De Laurentiis. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to tell his story. And we've got a uh, connection with his daughter, right. you know, and then we met her uh, numerous times. And we'd love to tell his story from you know, basically kind of how we did uh, Milius in the sense of from day one, right. you know, to, to, the, to the present, even though he's passed, yeah. to the present and his accomplish, accomplishments in Italy and also his accomplishments uh, here in the States uh, for American cinema, you know. Cool. He's touched so many movies, yeah. so, you know, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a subject that we're going to try to tackle and we'll see if we can get it going. That would be awesome. Yeah. That would be awesome, man. Well, good luck with everything. 
thank you so much for playing with us today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you. Yay. Good night, guys. Well, there you have it, everybody. That is a pretty nifty interview, if ever there was one. Um, the movie's great. Check it out. Nice job on the film, guys. You should be very proud of what you did. Absolutely. That was... I really had such a good time. I haven't seen a documentary that got me so happy and inspired in a really long time. I felt uh, felt great. I love that movie. So, yes, do check it out. Now, on our outro... Um, Regular thank you to Daisy House for the always cool soundtrack, always appreciated. Uh, Coracao Chocolate, if you guys need some serious sweets in your life, Coracao Chocolate may be the way to go. And Audible, Audible has not only audiobooks, but articles, a whole bunch of audio entertainment that ranges, really there are so many different categories in there, check them out. The beauty about Audible is that you can try it, uh, you don't pay anything if you don't like it you discontinue you're done you got a free month so you can get a book or something like that if you do like it then uh, um, great then you sign up and you're on board so please go through our audible code in the episode notes having said that what else do we need to take care of um, uh, never forget our friends kiva.org um, the drunken tower team drunken towers continues to to race towards the ten thousand dollar goal it's really impressive uh, we've got like 80 something members signed up everybody is jumping in had a big jump just a couple weeks ago so keep it up everybody it really is incredible help out somebody else in the world and um don't forget for your grumpy uncle who's like, they don't help anybody in the United States. Well, they do. There's Kiva loans available to folks in the U.S., but it's a lot more fun to be able to say, hey, I've helped people in 15 different countries. It's pretty awesome bit of outreach they're doing. So, And um, be sure to select Team Drunken Taoist if you uh, want to jump in there and, and join the team. Beautiful. couple of uh, quick mentions, both ranging the whole spectrum of life and death, I guess. On the life side, uh, we I've f- firmly held to the policy that we definitely do not do a happy birthday for listeners because otherwise we never get out. You know, we'll do it nonstop. We'll make an exception for Lily, who turns one year old around these days. She's from Ireland. She's the daughter of one of our listeners. If you are one, okay, we can definitely make an exception for happy that. Happy birthday. That first trip around the sun is the sketchiest. Yeah, and uh, she's the daughter of Pat. And Pat, I don't know how to pronounce your last name from Ireland. Pat Gilgegan. Oh, excellent. That could know. be anything. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I have no idea. Sorry, man. But uh, happy birthday to Lily. That's for sure. And on a ish, harsher note, um, I got an email from Candy Award who told me about her brother, avid uh, Drunken Taoist listeners, very much a guy who just from jumping off planes, doing all sorts of stuff that, you know, adventurous passionate pretty wild kind of guy lived on the edge huh you can say that 32 year old biking accident and that was it for him and uh, really sucks i'm so sorry for that i do appreciate though the living life intensely aspect of it all but i definitely wanted to mention his name was andy buffery um having said that a few people that we should thank for being sweet to us and sending us money for something that we put out for free which is always both crazy and adorable 
which is my favorite combination. If two adjectives can go too well together, crazy and adorable, that's always good. Yeah, it's a pretty nice combo. So shall we let the butchering begin? The butchering? Yeah, yeah, watch out. Here we go. Eric Follis, Skylar Lesmeister. That might be a lady. No idea. Terry McLennan. Wissam Abu Saad, a Lebanese man living in United Arab Emirates. So, again, our boy, one more dot on the map. Oh, yeah, be careful, my friend. John Attebury, who's uh, another guy who, ever since our first uh, Desmond Colton, who, by the way, also donated this month, who has set up this regular, ongoing, monthly thing, a few other people have taken the lead and jumped on it. And John Attebury, or sorry again, whatever your last name is, uh, decided to do the same. Very, very sweet thing. Same thing with Thomas Robinson, same thing with Aaron McLaughlin. Very, very sweet of you guys. Also, other thank you to Samuel Rapin, Amos Kingfisher, Federico Faro, Angelo De Feo, Ioannis Giannaros, Sara Young, Nadia Gomez, and Jamie Gomez, or Jaime Gomez, I'm guessing. But um, it's funny, by the way, because Nadia and Jaime, I don't think they are related. They just happen to share the last name and donate back to back. So that was the the Gomez clan has been nice to us. Well, that's so, definitely not the first time we've heard Federico Farrell's name. No, he regularly pops and he's up. He's Brazil, correct? Brazil. Correct. Federico, I went to school with Fernando Farrell. So if that's your cousin or something, tell him, <laughs> hey. <laughs> cool. And on that note, I guess we this is a wrap. And you guys have a beautiful day. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. showed you the way yeah oh man isn't that scary to think nice so don't kill people do that instead <laughs> this was great it's fucking awesome get back to work